Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. This is Liza Berger, editor of McKnight's Home Care. A new chart book report found that a large portion of Medicare and Medicare Advantage home health beneficiaries have several chronic conditions. Jen Schiller, executive director of the Research Institute for Home Care, which published the report, said this is a continuing trend. I think you're seeing a very vulnerable population um, that's being served by home health and and specifically, you know, both home health and traditional Medicare and, and home health users that are enrolled in MA. Um, and it's a really critical uh, population that that home health and home care serve. Um, so you'll see that they are they do tend to skew older, sicker, um, slightly less wealthy, and more racially diverse. And is that a trend that is going in this direction? And it has been for a few years. Yes, I think it's been pretty consistent that home health users tend to be those more vulnerable populations. This isn't really new, and it's something that home health has has gotten really used to to treating is these these more vulnerable patients. Another finding of your report was that the, in 2021, the top three clinical conditions for discharge to home health were sepsis, respiratory infections, and inflammations, as well as major hip and knee uh, joint replacement. And there was a decline in other kinds of uh, replacement, joint replacement. Um, anything to take from these facts? So that is a newer trend. We started to see a few years ago a decline in patients being served with major joint replacement and an increase in sepsis and septicemia and even last year, um, respiratory infection. So last two years uh, with respiratory infection. So you are seeing actually a changing trend in who uh, home health is serving. Um, It's less of that post-acute major joint replacement and it is more sort of a varied sicker population that needs more complex care uh, to serve these higher acuity patients. Is that uh, a consequence of COVID and kind of the decrease in those types of uh, procedures? You know, it certainly could be. Uh, We saw a little bit of this decline pre-COVID actually in major joint replacement, and that also predates the patient-driven groupings model as well, which happened to coincide just as COVID hit. So it's hard to take an exact reasoning away. As I said, it does predate those two things just a little bit, but I think you see a a pretty significant drop, especially um, in the last year in the the 2021 data. So while we can't definitively say that, I certainly think there is is an argument to be made that COVID and, and PDGM did change the patient profile, at least somewhat, in home health. And what in your mind were some of the other notable findings of this year's report? So we talked a little bit about kind of that major one, um, that home health really is serving a different patient population um, in terms of acuity and diagnoses um, than it did a few years ago, and that that's something to watch for. We also talked a little bit about Medicare Advantage. Um, You know, I think one of the, the big things for Medicare Advantage is that while MA users, MA home health users and the home health users um, at large are fairly similar in terms of demographics. MA users do tend to skew slightly more racially diverse, um, have more chronic conditions, live below the, the federal poverty level. So you're seeing an even more vulnerable group 
And then they do have, you know, this, we see it in the chart book. Um, they are likely to say that cost and coverage were an issue in accessing needed care more so than the home health population at large. So when you combine those two things, you see an access issue. And I think that that really underpins what our Medicare Advantage report, which came out in 2021, um, found. We had interviewees that noted these concerns about access to Medicare Advantage, and, and now we have patient survey data that backs that up as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. I took a look at that Medicare Advantage report that you did. There has been a lot of grumbling about Medicare Advantage among home health companies saying that not only is access an issue, but so is payment. Um, they are not getting paid the, um, the rates that they want or at the time that they want. And um, is this something that needs to kind of be looked at, in your opinion, um, at the regulatory level or otherwise? You know, I, I can't necessarily speak to the regulatory level. I'll, I'll let our, our colleagues at NAC and at the partnership and leading age um, talk a little bit more about that because um, that's really their their MO and, and their specialty. Um, but I certainly think that it is something that we know is an issue and we know Medicare Advantage is here to stay. Um, and so you know, we'd love to be able to work more with Medicare Advantage to figure out Medicare Advantage plans and, and sort of the industry as a whole to figure out how to best serve these home health patients um, that we know are potentially having access to care issues. And on top of that, are more likely to be vulnerable to access to care issues and any kind of changes in payment delivery reform as well. Mm -hmm. Very good. Tell us a little bit about uh, your organization, um, the history of it, and what it does. Yeah, so my organization is the Research Institute for Home Care, um, and you may have been familiar with us up until the middle of last year as the Alliance for Home Health Quality and Innovation. Um, we went through a rebranding in 2022. We really did this to better align our mission and vision of improving access to and delivery of care in the home with the branding. The Research Institute isn't so much a change from the Alliance, it's just sort of refinding and refining what, what it is we do through our branding. Um, we fund and promote research to inform policy and identify best practice in patient care models, which helps to expand access and delivery of healthcare in the home. So we, we really felt this rebranding was was important to be able to continue on that next step. We introduced our research grant um, in 2017. And since 2017, we funded nine projects and just wrapped up our sixth uh, proposal period um, on grant focus on the grant, which is, to my knowledge, the only grant uh, that is dedicated to funding evidence-based research in home care. So I think as an institute, as an organization, our members are really mission-driven and believe in the future of, of care at home. You know, as our as one of our founding members and the founder and chairman of Beata, Mark Beata, said, we must reinvest in the knowledge base to drive forward home-based care. And I think that really guides our work as an organization. On that point, I'd like to kind of look at the industry um, from a wider lens. We talked um, a little bit about MA and how it's... Um, something certainly to be um, researched and examined um, because of its its growth. Um, 
in, uh, in Medicare today. What in your mind are the other big issues uh, affecting providers and those things that we really need to, to keep an eye on right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, workforce is always going to be a big issue in in home health and and home care. Um, I think you're going to continue to see more work done in that workforce space and and trying to really shore up the workforce in home health and home care. I think also, you know, you have these multiple payment models, you have new payment models, you have things that are working in silos and in tandems. Um, and so we've done some work with home health, home health value-based purchasing. Um, we have some work that we did funded with Columbia and then a new project actually with Wild Cornell that we just uh, announced at the end of last year. Um, that's kind of a continuation and looking more at home health value-based purchasing as it is introduced nationwide and no longer an, a nine-state pilot program. Um, at the same time, you have the patient-driven groupings model. You have payment cuts. You have Medicare Advantage, which we talked about. There's so many different um, things and payers and models that home health and has to work within. Um, so I think you're going to see a, a little bit more work in the industry in that and, and a focus in that as always. A lot of our work also is just driven in clinical innovation and patient care. We've done some research on caregiving um, and how to best coordinate and communicate with family caregivers. We've done some work on caring for culturally, ethnically, and racially diverse patients as well. Uh, another big topic, I think, is in healthcare at large, not just in home care and health, home health, but in healthcare in general is, is caring for, for different types of patients. We've done some models that are looking at deprescribing in home health, which is really interesting and not something that I had really thought about a lot was polypharmacy, but definitely a growing part of of home health um, is that polypharmacy piece. And it's really critical to keeping patients out of the hospital and, and being readmitted. So those are some of the, the topics that we've looked at. But at the same time, there's there's so many things to look at as as we move forward. There's telemedicine, which is is certainly growing, especially during COVID, where we had so many virtual visits. We talked about workforce. We talked a little bit about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Another big thing is is rural health, um, and that kind of encompasses some of those things that we've talked about as well. So, yeah, certainly a, a lot going on right now. Going back to that um, home health value based purchasing HHVBP, which went nationwide just uh, on January first. How do you predict that's going to change the industry? Um, how providers operate? Whether will affect uh, whether firms can continue to stay in business? You know, I think we we will see. Anytime there's a change and a big change like that, it's it's going to come with some growing pains. Uh, obviously, there are nine states that have already participated in this, but even for those nine states, some of the groupings have have changed for them, and and the benchmarks have changed. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I think. As an industry, home health has been prepping for this, but that doesn't mean that everything will necessarily go 100% smoothly. But I do think it's been a, a focus of a lot of agencies in the industry at large is to prepare for this nationwide rollout of HHVBP. Mm -hmm. 
Any thoughts on how to best succeed in this changing world, this world that's so uh, based now on, on, on value? Well, I think that's one of the goals of our organization is to really be forward thinking. It's hard <laughs> when you're serving patients at the same time and there's a global pandemic and there's all these changes. It's hard to necessarily look too far in the future because you're constantly looking at the present and even sometimes looking backward. But, you know, I think really focusing in on that that future role of care at home. Um, we have an aging population. We know that that aging population prefers to stay at home when possible. We know that the locus of care has shifted a little bit because of what's happened globally um, in the past couple of years. So I think really being able to, to look at the future, funding that evidence base that provides, you know, really solid work on how to best care for patients at home, how to best develop the workforce, what models work and what we can learn from some of the models that are out there um, as we move forward. I think, you know, that's going to be really key. Mm -hmm. There's been um, a lot of concern, obviously, about funding cuts. And I was, you know, wondering, um, there was in in the home health final rule, there was a major Medicare um, decrease that it also, you know, started to go into effect um, this year. Um, how, what is your view on, on how, what's that likely to do to the field and in terms of consolidation and the field becoming smaller in terms of the number of players? So it's a good question. I don't, I can't speak for certain as to what the funding cuts are going to do. Obviously, we think that home health is very critical and that funding is is critically important to maintain that level. You know, I will say that be it funding cuts, be it COVID, we are seeing a um, a small decline in home health jobs um, that started with COVID in 2020, or at least started at the same time as the COVID pandemic in 2020. It was the first time you'd seen home health jobs actually decline in over 15 years. They rebounded slightly uh, again in 2021. But I think that workforce piece really goes hand in hand with that funding cut. You need people to be able to serve these patients. And we see more patients. um, We see more people being interested in home health. But you need to have a workforce to be able to serve those patients. So that's certainly one possible consequence of funding cuts is is increased strain on workforce. Mm-hmm. And um, just one more question. Um, as we start this new year, what do you think will um, be kind of the big predictions for the coming year and, and what what home health, you know, should kind of be looking out for as this new year begins? Yeah, I think last year was a really critical point for home health. I think you saw the rebound a little bit from 2020 um, and just all of the changes that happened with COVID and with PDGM. And you saw this massive cut in the home healthcare rule. It was a, it was a large rule. It was a very controversial rule. I know that my colleagues at NAC and the partnership and that at leading age can talk much more about the final rule than I can um, and the impacts based on their analyses, but it, it certainly was big and it it will have an impact going forward. I think you're seeing, you know, we talked about that MA data and you're seeing a little bit more of the impact 
of Medicare Advantage on home health and the need to work with Medicare Advantage's need to work with home health much more uh, as we move forward. And that workforce piece, I think, continues to be a, a big thing. But, you know, there's also opportunities from all of these things. There's the opportunity for telehealth and telemedicine that we talked about. There's opportunities for a home health to really become a locus of care uh, for this aging population because of some of the changes that have happened globally and because of some of the, the impacts on the healthcare spe- spectrum. And then there's also, you know, opportunities for reinvestment in workforce and and kind of serving an, a new patient population um, and driving forward and really improving, improving care at home. Um, I think home care serves such a a critically home health and home care serves such a critically important um, patient population. And so it, it will be interesting to see what happens, but I certainly think in addition to those challenges, there are a lot of opportunities that are provided as well going forward. Great. Well, Jen Schiller, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, Jen Schiller is from the Research Institute for Home Care. Thank you so much, Liza, for having me. I, I look forward to talking again. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.